0: Hello and welcome back to Popular Podagogy, a podcast brought to you by the Faculty of Education at Queen's University. We are very excited to be starting our second season here, and we are even more excited about the guest that we have coming on today, which is Stephen Gottlieb, who is the director at the Boundless School, which is a uh, well, I'll let him explain it a little bit more. Stephen, welcome to Popular Podagogy. How are you doing today? Yeah.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: So, Stephen and I were actually talking yesterday a little bit about what we were going to talk on the podcast. And uh, we told him about our classroom confession segment. And we thought that it would actually be good to move that to the front because we wanted to start this podcast off on the right foot. So, Stephen, do you have a classroom confession for us today?
1: One of many. I really struggled to choose one of 10,000 of them, but I'm going to go back to grade 10 physics when I was in high school way back then. I think this was probably 1978 ish. And we had a notorious teacher named Mr. Jempson. And he was one of those guys that would intimidate the students in order, it was the cornerstone of his classroom management technique, intimidation. And in those days, It was really left to the students to figure out how to navigate that. Um, The system would allow that kind of approach. He was a master of his, uh, his craft. I was a decent student, but boy, I would crawl out of my skin. I would get bored quite easily. One day he was gone, we had a supply teacher. And I was a bit of a troublemaker back then. And I was one of a few kids that would, Um, disrupt, not with a sense of evil, just the the point was chaos. And we overwhelmed that supply teacher. The next day, Jemson's comes back in and he's ready to have it out with us. And I should tell you before I continue that I'm a high school dropout and a university dropout. Um, I never fit into school well. But when I was, uh, what's the right word, alienated Um, from what was going around me in education, I would study it. Um, I was keenly attuned to finding its weakness. And the whole supply teacher system was just absurd. Uh, This poor supply teacher had nothing in front of her. Um, to carry on with the day, and when he went into the class about our bad behavior, just reeling off a lot of cliches about how terrible we were, Uh, and then he made the whole class uh, stay after school at detention, and when he announced that, I was so outraged. Um, I was outraged that he would blame the students for Uh, what I perceived to be flaws in the system. And I stood up and I engaged him. And I remember the words I used. I called him a dirty discriminator, but not using the word discriminator in the sense that we use today. He was choosing the side of the system over the kids and making the kids pay. When I hear myself retell this story, I see so many flaws in my own perception of it. But when I engaged him and called him a dirty discriminator and I said that, It's the system at fault, not ours. And I was one of the um, detractors in that class. I should be the one staying after school, not the whole kids. And then I went at him about how he's a bully, and then how he is trying to get control of his class through intimidation, and none of us would have it anymore. I was a self appointed speaker for the group. And I threw him out of the class, and he left. I said, you need to leave. It was the most absurd thing. Everyone was awestruck. He came back the next day and there was a a cold piece, like a detente for a few months. And then one day some buddies and I decided to pull a prank on him. And we'd cut out a bunch of penthouse centerfolds and and taped them together and laid them on his desk. And we had a, I had a friend of mine who was a photographer be ready with the camera. And we got the shot. And when he saw what was happening, he laughed. And in that moment, he won our hearts. And Jemsen, in many ways, after that incident, became uh, I became his biggest fan and his biggest detractor. And I learned a lot from him in that moment, how we chose to roll with it. He won my alliance in that moment and we never had trouble again. And the class felt quite
0: unified. And so how do you take a story like that? Because I think one of the reasons that we talked about starting with this story is that there are a lot of lessons that can be learned both as a teacher, as a student, even an administrator as to what the value is in looking at, at students as having their own free thinking opinions and not just being a group that has to be put together in a group and and doing a lot of, um, kind of traditional methods of education, I guess. So what, what would you take away from that story?
1: Classroom engagement is everything. Engaging your students is everything. Students Learning curves will be amplified if they feel engaged, if they feel they have agency in the classroom, that they have a say in what goes on around them, that they're invested in their own learning. Teachers, and I've, I've hired oh, in my career, maybe 1,200. It's a rare skill, uh, to truly engage the diversity of cl- of what is in front of you in a classroom, a rare skill indeed.
0: And so then what is it that you do look for uh, as someone who has found a number of teachers that can get this engagement and can identify in a teacher what, uh, what they need in order to be successful in that, or is it not possible until you actually get them in a classroom setting and you see them interact with students and you see what they, what their attitudes and motivations are in a classroom.
1: Well, as to your second point, it it is not possible to know how they're doing until you see them. And even when you see them, many can take uh, three years to finally get into the groove of how to uh, roll with the punches of a classroom. But of course we still have to choose. And I'm almost embarrassed to reel off a bunch of cliches at you. Um, Here we go. Uh, Character, uh, for us, is number one. It's quite hard to assess character, but we try in an interview process. Character, for us, means work ethic. It means doing what you're saying you're going to do. Uh, It means owning your mistakes. It means a sense of of authenticity. and a genuine care for the welfare of other people. So that's a pretty Western definition of character and I'll stand by it. So for us, character trumps talent. We see mediocre staff come in who are terrified of our, of our student population. And if they have the wherewithal to hang in Uh, if they have the character and time, character and time equals success at Boundless. You need both (laughs) and you need to be able to to survive it because some of our students can be quite challenging. So characters number one, Um, the ability to adapt to what's going on around you. Um, There's this big fallacy when a new teacher gets in front of a class that they've got their lesson plan, they've got curriculum goals, and they stick to it. And it's quite unfortunate because um, there's a saying, uh, uh, people plan, God laughs. We can be so dedicated to our own lesson plan, our heads metaphorically down in it, that we don't see what's around us. We don't see the needs of certain kids in front of us. We don't allow their energy to drive what goes on in the lesson.
0: So I think that's actually quite interesting that you, that you bring that up, because uh, this was something that in my first year of teaching as a new teacher, I was uh, quite adamant about is I had a group of students who just absolutely loved and were engaged and were uh, working on the topics that we were working on in my social studies class, which I don't think had anything to do with me particularly, but uh, could have just been that they really enjoyed the ideas and the ways of, that this topic unfolded. And so I got to the end of the year and the school that I was working at had added additional curriculum topics that were outside of, uh, I taught in Alberta, so the Alberta Program of Studies, and we didn't get to them. And so I had to, you know, I had an exit interview with my principal and talk with my principal and she said, well, what, what prevented you from getting to this? And I said, honestly, I didn't want to to take away from the engagement that the students had in this other subject and the, the passion that they had in this other subject to get to a subject that I didn't think really needed to be brought forward. And, uh, so there's, there's obviously, I wouldn't recommend that to many new teachers, uh, you know, usually it's a good idea to do what your principal asks, but um, when I explained that and I talked about what the kids had and then she had heard from the kids what we had been doing, she actually took that as a good sign that I was able to adapt and roll. And we still covered some of, some of the other topics and we met all the skills of the programs, the program of studies and everything else, but um, it's adapting rather than just sticking to what you have each day as your plan and planning out the rest of the, the year day by day.
1: It's an interesting story. Um, and I'm glad that your knuckles weren't wrapped so bad. For <laughs> us. Um, you know, it's been our experience, and we've been doing the boundless thing for, uh, it's 35 years now, that when kids feel connected to their teachers and each other, when a genuine sense of community is created in the classroom, their learning curves are amplified. They, and, and they teach each other. And then teachers can start using other kids as junior teachers. Um, it becomes a group attention to be paid to group process within a class. It can be very scary and intimidating because kids challenge group process all the time or feel, feel alienated from it or cannot join or cannot fit. So a great teacher at Boundless has to be able to navigate these variables that you can't plan for they surface each and every day
0: absolutely so i just before we we get too far into it uh Stephen, i i just want to touch on the boundless school because we've we've heard you refer to it a couple times and heard you say us and we and i think it's really important that the audience gets to fully understand if they haven't heard of of your school yet uh what what it is that it's all about. Um, So you are the director of the boundless school. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what your school is as well as what your role is within that school?
1: Well, I'm an old, I call myself the old man in front of the students because I don't have a direct role in any classroom, but I often visit and um, we have Stevenings uh, (laughs) who really cover a diversity of topics ranging from love to uh, how to deal with your parents. Uh, I started Boundless in 84, and since then I've worked with over a thousand teachers, and together we've created a really beautiful and adaptive curriculum. Uh, what's unique about us is that we're a charity. We own 600 acres of paradise in the Mattawaska Valley of Eastern Ontario and all our programs are based there. What we do is we uh, bring education, mental health and nature therapy all under one roof. And that makes us unique in the country. The kind of students we work with present significant mental health issues in particular anxiety and depression they bring a mountain of learning issues some are defiant Um, some have personality issues mood issues but the bottom line is that they can't make it in the mainstream they're struggling in the mainstream and we started off as pure outdoor ed and we loved it we realized that it had significant limitations. There was no enduring impact that program was having on our students. You know, five days to 10 days away is going to give you confidence, and then it's going to go away when you get home and face your everyday obstacles. We started experimenting with longer programs, uh, working with young families with kids age zero to six together with what was primarily single parent moms the idea there that we wanted to intervene early before these kids who on paper were severely at risk of uh, growing up awry. Uh, It wasn't until the early 2003, we became certified as an independent school and we've been developing curriculum ever since, but nothing we've done in our 35 years compares to what I regard as our prize model. We run a boarding school and it goes from September to March and kids can come multiple years and we have the time and the resources to bring those three modalities of mental health education and nature under one roof and even the most diffident alienated um, isolated kids cannot resist the allure of our teachers and this curriculum and this beauty of nature Uh, So that's what we do now. We partner, we work mostly with Toronto kids, although we have been developing a thriving Ottawa uh, population of students now. We deliver our program in close partnership with others in the public system. This would include other school boards. Um, Both Toronto school boards uh, on the cusp of the Ottawa District School Board We work with children's mental health centers, the cops, probation officers, um, and other small agencies. And so we are not existing outside of the system. Um, We're linked with it. And we have encountered over the years, utter brilliance, uh, teachers and administrators in the public system but there are times where their their resources are limited and they come to us to help solve problems that they can't with certain of their students so that is boundless
0: and it's it's really quite an amazing thing when you you I mean I haven't had the opportunity to visit the school but I've been able to uh kind of root around on your website and and see um the the different testimonials and the different um well, first of all, your your space, your school looks incredible. Um, but some of the philosophies and the mindsets that you just see are not traditional education mindsets. And and I say this not to disparage um, traditional schools or um, school boards or anything, but it's it's just it's very refreshing to see an alternative to that that students have the opportunity to experience and. Um, one of the things that I found when I was uh, on your website is the fact that you you actually didn't refer to it uh, as a boarding school. You preferred the term boundless live-in school. Um, and so I just wanted to see what the reasoning was behind that and why, why you like to use that type of terminology, because I found that to be quite uh, different from other schools that are trying to promote uh, having students come and have a full... Um, Kind of cultural experience at their at their institution.
1: Well, there's a few reasons, and we're mixed. I mean, operationally, I was on the phone this morning with three parents. You bandying about the term boarding school uh, (laughs) because people understand what you're talking about, right? I hate boarding school for a lot of reasons. One, it just sounds so boring. Two, it pisses off indigenous groups. um, Residential schools, boarding schools—they have uh, over a century of horrific. Troubles. Um, and I, I hate using that association. Um, Boundless Living School has a funky acronym, BLISS. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, but we don't really get bent out of shape about what we call it. We're a small school and we fill every bed. And so sometimes we'll refer to it as BLISS, sometimes we'll refer it to as the boarding school or the living program. Doesn't matter. really.
0: Well, I'm a sucker for an acronym. So I was, uh, I was really happy to have you just bring that up right now because I think the fact that you made it so that you could become bliss was, was a, uh, a great uh, dad joke, if nothing else. And
1: uh, Indeed, it is a tad <laughs> pretentious, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yes, but I loved every second of it.
1: I like to refer to our boarding school model as like, we, are really, we are a clumsy utopia. We have resources that others in the system just simply don't have. I mean, we have uh, one teacher for every three kids. We have 600 acres of paradise. We have the ability to adapt curriculum on a dime. We love an idea, we'll make a credit out of it. Um, Of course, we're inspected by the ministry, but they're really supportive of what we're doing.
0: First of all, every teacher that's listening to this podcast right now just had their eyes bulged out of their head when you said you have a teacher for every three students. Um, it's, it's a,
1: you know, I wish, I do not disparage the public system. I, I'm a cheater. I chose not to join the public system. I wish I could come on the podcast and say, I've got the answer for you, public system people. Here, you should be doing this. And I don't know what the answers are for that. Yeah. So I decided to create this tiny little clumsy utopia that our teachers can just do great work with kids.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to kind of go back a little bit to what you, something you were talking about earlier, and that's your student population. So there's a lot of different terms that can go along with that, that type of group of population, but the one that comes up most often I think would be at-risk youth. Um, and it's definitely a topic that's gaining steam in research circles, which is good because we're identifying that there are systemic issues and challenges that certain populations of students face that we need to address and, and, and try and help them and, and find ways to make it so that we can make it a little bit more balanced and give them the opportunities that we want to give them. And I, I think that this is something that, that your school is focused on and, and uh, working towards just based on what I've seen and what you've you've told me so far. So, what would be your? I, I know you you said just now that you don't have a solution for public schools and you you don't have all the answers. But if you were talking with researchers that were studying at risk use, what what would you want to tell them? What would you want them to be interested in and in focusing on?
1: I would tell them with great emphasis. Although they already have woken up to this, this the epidemic of anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression are not quite the same. They're first cousins, and often the treatment is, is similar. I know uh, CAMH cites that a quarter of today's youth are um, suffering from anxiety and depression. Our own observations at boundless, which is a reasonable sample size, um, thinks it's half, worse for girls. Um, there's a lot of reasons for this. I'll surely write a book about it. I I am uh, anxiety, I'm I'm swimming a sea of it, I'm fascinated with it. Um, I see now, it's been, I just, there's a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, which has a really interesting evidence-based analysis of when this epidemic started and the author and forgive me i don't remember the name argues that it began with the first smartphone in 2007 and then five years later uh, show up in first year uh, undergrad university and you had an implosion a mental health implosion and now i've seen it so long that even on our own staff team and in staff teams everywhere mental health is a massive consideration. And we have to come up with strategies to support our staff, just as we do our students. Because these staff now have been part of this epidemic that's lasted well over 10 years now. Um, I'm gonna be 57 soon, so I'm becoming of an age where All of us suffer from the inclination to rant against the younger generation. (laughs) And I don't want to do that because when I look, first of all, a lot of our kids are really anxious and depressed because my generation of parents are really anxious and depressed. So I think we grew up and it was tough then too. I think all generations have had their demons. This one though, we give it a name better We see it better, we're more attuned to it, um, and that's a good thing, but I think it's increased even relative to, I think it's worse now than when we grew up because of technology and other things, Um, but that I, I guess is not really the topic of this podcast, but there's a lot of variables that have gone into this epidemic. The learning issues were always there, teen suicide was always there what we would call in those days, the stoner's corner of every high school. Today we have lots of different names, we call it ADHD, we call it anxiety, um, we call it learning issues, we call it addictions. We're much more attuned to it now and there's more resources to treat it and yet the resources that the system does earmark towards it are not sufficient to keep pace with the epidemic. And now when I just dropped my youngest kid off at McGill in her first year, and thank goodness she's doing well, but she's now watching. She's three weeks in now, and she can see. She calls her residence FOMO Central, the uh, drive to connect and to start climbing the social ladders. And she's starting to see people fall off the ladders now and implode. My two older boys, when they went to Western, same thing. It's nasty out there. And I think that our high school system, of which I'm the expert, I'm really not an expert on the elementary or la- the latency age kids. It's just not my thing. But they're really buckling and parents don't know what to do. Three calls this morning with families that are just, uh, one has a, a student who refused to show up in grade nine, who shows behaviors of extreme defiance, Anger, the student sows drama wherever she goes, has no friends, won't come out of her house. What do I do? So, we're seeing a lot of this that's unique to this day and age.
0: And so, just for example, what would it be that you would tell a parent like that, or how do you engage students like that? Maybe are growing up in this age where there's so much more pressure from outside sources and so much more eyes kind of watching them at all times, what would you do to help them?
1: Well, sometimes my response will focus on the parenting, not the kids. One just assumes, okay, how do we address the needs of kids? But in fact, you know, but certainly with our boarding school, we work quite closely with the families. And I tell our staff that when a student arrives at Boundless, it's like an iceberg. You're only seeing 20% of the student. The 80% that you don't see is the family that the student belongs to. We had a student dropped off last week at our boarding school. Um, Mom, we, we have this, this most selfless group. This United Church in North Toronto allows us uh, to use their parking lot for the boarding school pickup and drop offs. And this woman shows up and she's changed smoking cigarettes and she's just dumping the cigarettes on to the parking lot of this United Church. And we ask her for the med form of the student. And she, we found out later, lies about it, um, says that uh, it's completed, but she didn't do it. She looks strung out a week later. We're talking, we still don't have met forms and we speak to the student and the student is, has this moment of uh, real embarrassment. My mom's not well right now. He says, I'll deal with it when I get home. So there are millions of these stories out there. Um, if I was to fix the public school system, I would uh, increase resources in
0: working with families. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with more popular pedagogy. Are you an occasional teacher looking to improve your job prospects? Are you an experienced teacher trying to reach the next pay scale? Are you interested in improving your overall teaching practice? Queen's Continuing Teacher Education has you covered. With easy-to-access online courses, you can log on to your course from anywhere you have access to the internet. Courses offered by CTE range from special education to technological education to safe and accepting schools. Queen's CTE courses work with your schedule, have supportive, expert instructors that want to help you succeed. Registration is fast and easy with no commitment to pay until the Friday before the course starts. What are you waiting for? Visit coursesforteachers.ca for more information or to sign up today. That's coursesforteachers.ca. And welcome back to Popular Podagogy. Once again, we're joined by Stephen Gottlieb from the Boundless School. So Stephen, I just want to go back to something that you talked about a little earlier in the podcast when we were talking about what it takes to be a teacher in the boundless school. So how is that different than teaching in a more traditional classroom? And what is it that you want out of your teachers? I know you talked about connecting with the students and caring for the students and empathy with the students, but is there something that you're looking for specifically when you're hiring your teachers?
1: The ability to work with teens is very much prized at boundless. Uh, most new teachers are scared to death of teenagers. Um, Teenagers can look through you like a ghost. They can challenge you and walk all over you. It's funny, I was just, I don't know, I know I'm dating myself, but I saw, my wife and I were looking at, uh, we saw To Sir With Love, which is a really classic education movie out of England in the late 60s, about how Uh, A teacher goes into an inner-city classroom and encounters the challenges of uh, getting hand. And I'm going to explain that term. It's really big at boundless. So the term getting hand comes from a Seinfeld episode where George Costanza is trying to get a sense of control and influence in a relationship with the girl, and he wants to get the upper hand. And then he says, I can't get the upper hand, I have no hand, I have no hand. What he's really saying is I have no influence. He was not referring to hand to dominate or control, he's talking about influence, agency. So we stole that term and at Boundless we thought we need to get hand with our kids. And so what that means, is that they trust us and we trust them there's a reciprocity where the more we trust each other the more rope we let loose and then the more they don't hang themselves with that extra rope um, new worlds and opportunities open up and they truly start taking charge of their own learning and that's what we're trying to see at boundless so the ability To let loose the rope at the right time, to be able, it's not so much we're looking for people who aren't afraid to work with teenagers, it's we're looking for people who can learn to navigate their own fear of working with teenagers. So there needs to be, that's the next element of character. We're looking for courage. There's a um, strong element of physicality at Boundless. We do lots of outdoor adventure. Uh, In the spring and summer, they're quite ambitious. We're river people, lots of white water, lots of carrying boats and paddling the lakes, climbing and all that kind of stuff. So physicality is really important. And the capacity to work as a collaborative team member. Teaching at Boundless can be intimidating, not so much that it's about working with teenagers, but you also have four or five other teachers in the room with you, and that too can be intimidating. Of course, the best teachers at Boundless do very little teaching at all. They're more like orchestra, maestros, managing energy. That includes their peer teachers and the students themselves. So I'd say those four things are really important to us.
0: Because it is unique to probably what a lot of both experienced and new teachers would be used to, how do you support new teachers to Boundless? What are some of the almost onboarding strategies that you have there?
1: Every new teacher starts four months as an orientation. They're still paid, but we don't expect a lot. One of our former principals once said it quite eloquently in a session he, he ran where he said, just shut up and learn. Uh, another said it's taught these four months are for you to wait, watch and wonder.
0: Teachers are willing to do that. I feel like if I was in that situation, I'd almost be chomping at the bit to get in there and do it. So that's a skill in itself to be able to wait and watch and wonder. Some
1: of the alpha males and females struggle with that. They're itching to contribute. It's no, and we warn them and I'll spell this in an interview and I'll say, look, you're going to get, there's a, there's going to come a point where you're going to want to contribute and there won't be a mechanism for you at the beginning. And it's going to eat you up. There will be no place for your energy to go. And it's almost as if you need to sit on your own hands. For some, it manifests. And then, of course, six months after that, they they come to me, oh, boy, I should have been more careful for what I wished for. At Boundless, we call it feeling the weight of the program, where you start feeling the weight of the class and what we're trying to do on your shoulders we start uh, slowly but surely adding significant leadership responsibilities. Often we associate the term leadership with teaching. They're almost interchangeable with us. And there's a lot of pressure. Um, our standards of balance are really high. And most teachers stay with us for one to five years, somewhere in that range. And then they maybe want to move home and make babies and live close to their families. And it's funny, those teachers that leave boundless that have not been in the public school system, they are fast-tracked by the public school system. We had a a teacher who worked with us for eight years who decided he wants to go home and be near his parents and support them. Um, he bypassed the whole supply teaching phase. Two years, they took him on immediately as an LTO. Other teachers in Alberta, for example, one teacher was given the opportunity to create their own program for at-risk youth. Um, our teachers are highly coveted by the public system. And in a way, because we're at sometimes, I hate that. Oh my God, I'm losing this talent. All for you for them to go into and get sucked into these massive bureaucracies that don't see their talent at the front gate and they have to struggle. But I'm telling you, they do thrive and I feel good. I feel good that our charity uh, prepares teachers to go into the public school system well. So in that way, maybe I, we cheat a little bit less.
0: So just before we move on here, we've talked a lot about kind of the history of Boundless and the work that you're doing now. And we've touched a little bit on the technology and everything else that goes into it, but where do you see Boundless going in the future? What do you think is on the horizon for Boundless? Do you think that it will continue to operate much in the same way that it is now? Or do you think that there's something else that you can see it growing into?
1: We are evolving it all the time. I think our strengths are in, are in OE, Outdoor Ed. Um, I think we are masters at that. Um, in high school curriculum, we're becoming masters. Where we're weak is in mental health. So in the next five years, our mission is to bring those three modalities under one roof, with a particular emphasis on hiring more mental health staff. And we took a Big leap just in the last few weeks. We doubled our mental health, our counseling team. And we're already seeing incredible dividends. So um, that's we want to become more of a mental health program to treat this epidemic of anxiety and depression. So we're moving in that direction.
0: So we're gonna use that as we look towards the future and think about the things that we need. And One of the areas and the reasons that we wanted you on the podcast today is because you actually are going to be speaking about this at the first ever Knowledge Forum conference that's taking place here at the Queen's Faculty of Education on November 15th. So how do you see the experience that you've had and your vision for the future tying into what people will take away from your talk when you're here that day?
1: I'm going to come with a lot of stories from the front line. Sometimes at Boundless we call ourselves educational Afghanistan or Vietnam or whatever area you wanna choose. So I'm gonna talk about our process for how we started, how we failed to meet needs, how we started adapting to these needs and how we're trying to stay current and address new gaps in the system and in education. And then I'm gonna explain exactly how we weave mental health and experiential curriculum and nature together. There's no one in the country doing what we're doing. So I think there's some interesting stories there. And then I'd like to do a Q and A with some of the people in that room and share some of our observations and experiences with what they are researching. I know that there is a session after mine that talks about, I'm trying to remember the words that this a presenter is using. Um, how do we accommodate the special needs of students while building resilience? So I, are this, in a training session I ran for our staff just a few weeks ago, I talk about that. Well, I hear that as code for how do we be demanding and not baby them, still address what they need? And it's a real balance on how to do that, how to be demanding and accommodating. And that polarity is the, is the gist of it. So I'll be exploring that at the forum as well.
0: And you can find more information about the Knowledge Forum Conference at educ.queensu.ca backslash knowledge-forum-conference-supporting-risk-youth. So if that's not a mouthful, you can also just Google Queen's Knowledge Forum Conference, and it's the first link that comes up. Stephen, before we go today, we've talked a lot about The Boundless School. So would you just be able to tell people where they can find more information about it in case they're interested?
1: Please go to theboundlessschool.com. That's our website. And I should add the following as a conclusion. We have enjoyed... Uh, a beautiful relationship in hiring teachers from the Queen's Faculty of Education for 31 years now. The first one was 1988. They have been program managers, risk managers, teachers. Some have gone on in different directions to be social workers. We currently have four Queen's teachers, graduates on staff, and we are looking to hire more. Thank you for listening to this shameless self-promotion, Nathan. But we are coming this year, wanting to hire a lot more Queens teachers.
0: So that uh, that'll do it. Thank you for joining us today, Stephen. We we really appreciate uh, learning about what what you and your staff do, and and uh, I, I can't wait to to hear more from you on November fifteenth. That does it for another episode of Popular Podagogy. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher and Google Play. You can also find us on the Queen's University Faculty of Education website. Have a good day.
1: Thanks, Nathan.